0: Luke chapter 3, verse. Seven. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eritrea, and Troconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priests of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, What should we do? Don't, Don't collect any more than you are required to do, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, Kalimera, Magandang, Umaga, did I say that right? Same, Cheetah? Excellent. Um, Bomjia, um, good morning. Hey, y'all, y'all awake? We've gone through a lot today, uh, so we'll, we'll, try to, we'll I'll try to keep this brief. If you have Luke chapter 3 still open, uh, that will be helpful. Um, we are in week 3 of our Luke series uh, called Were Not Our Hearts, uh, in which we explore what it, what it is about Jesus um, as we walk along the road with him that makes hearts burn within, both then and now. Uh, and today we are looking at someone who is not... Jesus uh, a guy named John the Baptist and you may think well if we're this series is all about discovering who this Jesus guy is why are we talking about John Um, and and if you're anything like me whenever you get to passages like this that talk about John um, uh, you might just sort of skim over them. Right? You don't really pay attention um, because of yeah. John sure said some stuff and did some stuff, but I really want to fast forward to the good parts. Right? I I just want to fast forward to Jesus. Uh, To me, for a long time, John seemed like uh, a leftover from the meal of the Old Testament. We sort of do this with the Old Testament as well, right? Where yeah, it's good to know it was it was yummy back then um, and. John, just like the Old Testament, served as part of God's plan, but now a, a new and more exciting meal has been in put, put in front of us in Jesus, so we don't need, need, need to go back to that old food anymore, do we? Well, today, I want to explore why John the Baptist even gets mentioned in the story of Jesus what his job was, what we can learn from him, uh, from his message in ministry, and most importantly, how John the Baptist actually reveals a lot to us about who Jesus is. So, with that said, let's jump in. Uh, John's origin story gets mentioned earlier in the book of Luke, uh, and you can read about that later on your own, or go back uh, to the podcast that happened in December where we talked about that. But in Luke chapter 3, we've transitioned from talking about John and Jesus as infants and children uh, into their adulthood and ministry. Uh, So what do we learn about John the Baptist from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 14? Well, have a look at verses uh, 2 and 3. It tells us this. The Word of God came to John, and he began preaching a baptism uh, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We'll come back to that bit in a moment. But Luke tells us that he did this out in the wilderness, wandering around the area of the Jordan River. Uh, Let's start here for a minute. Uh, Whenever you read something in the Bible, a good question to ask yourself is, why is this here? Why am I being told this information? That's a good question to ask as you read the Bible. Uh, So much content in the Bible has significant meaning attached to it, uh, and such is the case here. So when Luke says that John was hanging out and preaching in the wilderness, it's not simply because Luke wants to tell us some really cool geographical information in case we happen to be wondering. That's not what he mentions that for. So here's a question for you. It's not rhetorical. What do you know uh, about the wilderness? What do you know about the wilderness? Where, Where does it talk about the wilderness elsewhere in the Bible? What do we know about it? Ready? Go. Just throw it, throw it out. Right. Exodus, wandering. People were wandering. The Israelites were wandering through the wilderness um, after they get freed from Egypt. What else do we know about it? Ah, Rogers, fast forwarding for us a bit. Well, he's rewinding to fast forward. We'll get to that part in a second. But there's a passage in Isaiah that talks about a, a voice calling uh, from the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. We'll get to that in a second. What else do we know? Alright, so Jesus, Jesus goes out to the wilderness in a passage right after this in Luke chapter 4 uh, where the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness and some crazy things happen. A conversation with Satan, some other stuff. Yeah, really interesting. It's really good. You're really smart. The wilderness, the wilderness is this waiting place uh, throughout the Bible where God tested the hearts of His people and prepared them for what was coming next. So when the people of God evacuate slavery in Egypt, as was mentioned, God brings them into the wilderness where he speaks to them, he instructs them, and he refines them. Um, it's in the wilderness that God shapes his people to be a people out, uh, after his own heart, where he prepares them to be ambassadors for him as they entered the promised land. Uh, The wilderness also happens to be a place elsewhere in the Bible where people would get away, they would get out of the system, per se, to hear from God, to be refreshed and sent back uh, into the world as a kingdom proclaimer for God. And this is what um, Alan just mentioned about what happens next. Uh, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he is tested and refined, and then he goes back and he starts his public ministry uh, throughout the Bible, you will see people retreat to the wilderness to find God because often in, in the system, in the cities and towns and regular places where people usually inhabit, that oftentimes there's a lack of hunger or desire for God and following his ways. And so you see people throughout the Bible, like Elijah or David, who would often go away to the wilderness. Uh, they, would, they would go get away out of the system in order to be refined and built up so that they could be sent back into the system to call it out, to point out how the culture has turned away from God and is in need of dramatic transformation. And this is exactly what we see John the Baptist doing here. He is outside the city. He is in the region of the Jordan River calling on people to, be, to repent, that their sins need to be forgiven. Uh, Those phrases can be really confusing for us, but repentance simply means to turn away from the direction that you're going and head the opposite way. You are are going this way, repentance means to turn around and go the opposite way. And sin simply means anything, whether it's what you think, what you say, what you do, that goes against how God created you to live. That's what those words mean. Have a look at verses 7 to 9. Um, In chapter 3, the text says this, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, this is a a funny part, I think, people are coming to visit John, and this is what he says, you brood of vipers, awesome, well done, how to make friends and influence people. All right, Um, he goes on, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, that's heartwarming, isn't it? So what's John doing? There's people flocking to him. They obviously want to see him. And he, really, he gives this sort of really negative-sounding thing. What do we do with this? Well, uh, it's clear that John is standing outside of the system. And these people are coming to him from the system, from within uh, this, the little worlds that they live in where... Um, The the idea of following God is is becoming more and more of a foreign thing. And he's calling them out. He's calling for them to change, to be transformed, to prepare themselves. Just like what happens throughout the Bible when people go to the wilderness. Because, he says, something is about to happen. But why? why? Why should they change? Why should they be transformed? And what is it that they are preparing themselves for? Well, here's where uh, Luke explains John's job. Um, Verses 4 to 6, quote a passage from the prophet Isaiah. This is what Roger was mentioning earlier. So Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, uh, speaks this out some several hundred years before Jesus, and this is what he says. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see, see God's salvation. So we, we, we just sung about that in the song that just um, preceded this. Um, John saw himself as that voice uh, calling in the wilderness that Yahweh, the Lord, uh, God Almighty himself, was on the way. Uh, in other words, God is returning to his people. He's on the move, which means if God is on the move, we ought to keep up with where he is going and, and going the direction that he is going. And if we don't, well, we'll be on the wrong side of history. That won't be very good. If God and the God of the universe is coming in the flesh, the one who, who made us, who designed us, and the world around us, don't you think that we have better find ourselves keeping in step with him rather than turning away from Him, living in conflict with others, and living uh, out of harmony with the world around us. John says that his job is like a herald, a a town crier, who is shouting out, letting people know that God is finally on His way. And like the Israelites in the wilderness, you better prepare yourselves. So repent. Change your ways. Get yourself right with God and how He's called you to live. And he issues this warning. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees. So will you straighten up and show yourself to be fruitful? Or will you be cut down? See, John falls in line with a very important group of people called prophets. Uh, Prophets were often ordinary people, just like you and me. They're ordinary people uh, who met with God, but often in really vivid and powerful ways. Um, And then they were then sent... Two people to tell them that they were missing the mark. They were brought out of the system to speak to people in the system that had forgotten or given up or turned away from God. To say that God was up to something, that he was not going to stand on the sidelines and let injustice and evil rule the day anymore. And God's desire to deal with injustice and evil in the world often started with those who called themselves God's people, God's children, That at many stages throughout their history, those who claimed to know God best actually lived in such a way where that characteristic was the furthest from the truth. That this group of people who claimed to love God uh, were actually fooling themselves, and they didn't know or love God at all. And in fact, were repelling others from knowing and loving God themselves. It's a trait that became so regular in people this inbuilt comfort that uh, though I, I claim to be a person of God, uh, I therefore have God's favor, um, but I actually am far from God. My, my life, my devotion, my understanding of God, they actually don't reflect that, that claim that I make at all. And when that happened, God would send people um, who are outside of that system uh, to speak into it. Um, and these people were called Prophets. And so why was John so important? Well, because he is in this tradition of people who withdrew from society to be empowered by God to challenge those in society to come back, to return to God because God was about to deal with the injustice and evil in the world. Whenever God was going to act to battle wickedness and set things right, someone uh, would be called by him to be his voice to tell people to wake up, to get ready. To prepare yourselves. But what's clear in this passage is that the thing that God was doing here uh, was actually coming himself, uh, in person. A thing that had never been done before. And if God himself was coming, we ought to be ready. We ought to be radically transformed. And because of God coming in the flesh, um, the, the Messiah showing up was so monumental, dramatic action was called for. So John challenged people to get ready for God's arrival by doing a few radical things. First, verse 3, we're told he baptizes people. Uh, But John's baptism was different from how later Christians came to understand baptism. John said that people were not right, that they carried sin and baggage with them, and they needed to be cleansed and healed and forgiven. So in John's ministry, baptism meant that you entered the water recognizing uh, your need for God and your need to be changed. And then when you were immersed and came out of the water, it meant that you were forgiven, that you were were given a fresh start. But that's not all. John was not uh, content to prepare people for the arrival of the Messiah just by doing something symbolic. He called people to radical living. Have a look at verse 10. John says all this stuff, this really, um, yeah, really in-your-face stuff, and people respond, verse 10, what should we do then? What should we do? If that's true, God is on the way, what should we do? Well, look at uh, John's response in the following verses, pretty simple. He says, if you have two shirts, you should share with someone who doesn't have any. If you have food, you should share with those who are hungry. All right. Then some tax collectors approach John, and they ask what they should do to ready themselves. He says, do your job, but don't take more than you ought to. Don't lie and cheat and try to get ahead. Don't make your wallet fat at the expense of someone else's wallet. Simple enough. But then some soldiers approach John and ask what they should do. So he tells them, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Pretty simple. What's John doing here? Well, he's challenging people to not only do what is right, but to do what is loving and just. Some of those things will make sense to us, right? Like, don't be greedy, don't cheat, don't lie. We think, most of us will think, well, that's what every normal human should be doing, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't be greedy, we shouldn't be lying, even though we ourselves often do those things, right? We ourselves lie or cheat or are greedy. But we think, humans should do them, but he's also telling people that they ought to go beyond what is doing normal uh, to do what is radical. He says, give your extra shirts and extra food away. Now I would venture to guess that most of us have lots of extra clothes in our closet, uh, and most of us have lots of extra food in our pantries. So should we start emptying out our storage spaces? Is that what we should be doing in response to this? And what does that have to do with the coming of the Messiah anyway? Well, throughout the writings of the prophets, there is um, this theme of justice being done, of the scales being balanced out. The prophets would cry out that one day there would be a day when there would be no more need in the world at all anymore, where the low are lifted up and the haughty are brought down. When oppressors will be uh, thrown off of their thrones, and those who are oppressed will be restored. When the rich, those who are greedy, uh, and hoard their things away, and don't share, will be stripped of their stuff, and those who are poor will be given in abundance. And the prophets would say that this is what it would be like when God himself returns, that these scales would all balance out and things would be made right again, that this world would start looking like what life looks like in God's world, in heaven, that uh, this earth will be made right to model what heaven looks like. I remember hearing a pastor put it this way once. He says this, that... um, If you don't like being generous now, you won't like heaven very much. Um, If you aren't open-handed with what you have and where we are now, you won't like heaven very much. If you don't like hanging out with people who are different than you, uh, people of other ethnicities or cultures or languages or socioeconomic backgrounds or whatever, you won't like heaven very much. Because in God's world, all of those things are part of the furniture. So, because heaven was about to come to earth, John said we ought to start getting in line with what that looks like. We should start living now this heaven uh, this heaven lifestyle here on earth, and that looks like being crazy generous by doing what is right by treating people fairly. So, that's John the Baptist. Why is he here? Why is he important? <clears throat> Well, because he was a forerunner in the tradition of the prophets who prepared people for a God who was on the move. What well, was his job? To stand outside the system and call out to those within the system, those who have lost the way, who have forgotten about or ignored or fooled themselves about living the way of the Lord, the way of living right relationships with God, with one another, and the world around us. So then what can we learn from this passage, from John, and what is he? What does he tell us about Jesus, really? Well, I think for me the challenge of John's ministry is this. Uh, The story, uh, even before the human story began, was, is, and will always be about God. We are the supporting characters in the grand narrative of the one who created the universe, the one who designed us, who loves us through and through. But there are times even for those of us who call ourselves believers in God and in His story, where we will divert the narrative to make it all about us. Um, That I'm the hero of this story, and the tale is really all about me. And we can go get so caught up in that system, into that culture around us, and and in the sub-narratives, the little stories that we we get uh, told in our culture and society, that we often forget that God is up to something. That it's actually his story. And it's not God's job to get in line with our story, but it's our job to get in line with his. So John spoke this way to prepare people for the arrival of Jesus back then. But the thing is, Jesus is coming back again one day. And because of that, the call is still out there for you and for me now. To examine ourselves and see if we've forgotten or ignored the story or or fooled ourselves into believing as John's audience did, that because we call ourselves Christians or come to church or attend a community group or whatever, that we are right where God wants us to be, when many of us may be actually far away from where God wants us to be. We need to wake up and know that Jesus' arrival is right around the corner. And repent, change our ways, get our acts straight. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it means taking John's words seriously and going through your closets and your cupboards and start being generous. I don't know. Maybe that's what you should do. Maybe it means doing something dramatic to get your heart right again. Maybe you need to get away out of the system, into the wilderness, have a spiritual retreat, spend time in solitude. Find someone that you can confess and say, I've been going the wrong way or I've made the story about me and I just need to tell someone. Maybe it's time to stop being lazy and do the things that you'll be doing in God's kingdom, serving and praying and worshiping and going out of your way to tell and show people about Jesus. I don't don't know what it is for you, uh, but we cannot hear something like this and not respond. If at the very least... We ought to spend a moment and examine our hearts to think about the things that we're doing, what we are spending our money on, where we're spending our time, what, are, what desires that we have swirling around in our brains, and see if those things are lining up with God's ways or not. If not, the axe is at the root of the tree. Are you producing fruit for the arrival of the king, or are you in danger of being cut down? I'm going to invite the band to come on up. We're going to close by singing. But before we do that, I just want to spend a few moments before we do just in silent uh, reflection to ask God to judge and reveal our hearts. Then after a few moments, we'll sing. I think that's a fitting response, the very least we can do. And if you'd like help and direction or want someone to pray for you or with you, uh, or to pour your heart out to. Uh, there will be a few of us on stage when the service is done, and we'd love to chat with you and pray with you and encourage you. But for now, I think a fitting response is for us to uh, turn to God, ask him to show us our hearts, and if the things that we're doing, saying, spending our time, money, energy, are reflecting the things that we'll be doing in his kingdom. So let's pray together, and then we'll sing.